everybody. Uh, my name is Spencer Ehrenfeld, and welcome to the Trust Me, I'm a Lawyer podcast. This is episode 11, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nori. How are you, Nori? Yeah, how are you? I'm doing okay on a Monday morning. We've got a very, very special guest with us today. Tell everybody who our guest is. Today, we have Anthony Genova, who's a family lawyer, and he's going to talk with us about a number of issues during the coronavirus, who are, which are affecting the general population as well as the homeless population. And we're going to learn, uh, as he's going to share his screen eventually, yep. we're going to see uh, government documents and legislation that's going to provide further detail on what we're discussing. Well, and let me just give a little more specifics. Is child custody right now, I mean, you're technically still a minor. You're 17 years old. You're here. You're with us. Uh, your mom and dad are together. But there are thousands of children out there who have got parents who are separated and divorced, parents who are undocumented. And during this coronavirus, you know, there's serious obstacles right now as to who needs to be taking care of the kids and where the safest place is. And that's why I'm particularly thrilled to have Anthony with us. Hey, Anthony, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Spencer? We're, we're, we're doing good. We're together. We're safe. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us today. I teased it a little bit, but, you know, given the coronavirus um, and, and, and your experience as a family law attorney, what advice do you have out there for parents and perhaps children uh, who are watching this as to what they need to do right now to keep their kids safe and also be in compliance with court orders? Well, and it's going to be a balancing act because on one hand, you've got to got to keep the children out of the fray and keep them out of the conflict between the parents. You can use them as messengers. Um, but in this particular time, it's, it's going to be very difficult because you've got children that are, are at home with one parent or the other. School is now suspended, so they're, they're being schooled at home. Their normal schedules, in other words, some of these parents, because of conflicts, domestic violence, whatnot, the, the exchanges take place at the school, so the parents really don't come in contact with each other, but now you've got no school, so now you've got people uh, having to go to people's houses and things like that, so it, it's creating a number of problems uh, with, with safety of children, domestic violence, um, time-sharing issues, and, and also access to court because now if you've got individuals that don't have internet, they don't have computers, they don't have cell phones, um, all of the, the hearings to um, get time sharing back on track are done through uh, remote access and Zoom and things of that nature. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking if, if a child's watching this and they've got parents and one parent is not providing them with, you know, a safe environment. And just in, in terms of the coronavirus, that they're not quarantined. They've got other people coming over to the house that aren't wearing masks and wearing shoes and things like that. What can a kid do to make sure that they're in a safe environment? I mean, it's, it's very difficult because, again, who do they report it to? It's not like they're going to go to school in the morning. They can tell their teacher, the guidance counselor, or the, the, the police officer that's crossing them, you know, walking them across the street. So they don't have that access. They don't have that, that safe uh, person to speak to, per se. And they're not necessarily going back and forth to the other parent like they used to. Um, one of the interesting things about this is you've got um, the – the, the normal, so an order comes out, you, you've got time sharing schedules, everybody has their final judgments. 
um, you've got people that are early on in a divorce case or early on in a paternity case where they don't have a temporary time sharing schedule. They don't have a, a permanent time sharing schedule. So they were still in the process of working things out and now this happens and now communication is affected and, and, and there's no orders to enforce. But even if you had an order to enforce, um, <clears throat> a child, let's say a child was to tell a neighbor and, and, and somehow get a message to a neighbor that there's some abuse or, or a problem in a house. That communication from the neighbor to the court would just be hearsay. Um, so, so there's a lot of evidentiary issues when you've got a child trying to, to somehow report a situation to the court. You'd have the same problem if, if, a, if a parent was accusing another parent, the child come home and says, oh, my, you know, mommy let me go, you know, play baseball or football or basketball or whatever, and the other parent wants to, to, to take the other parent to court for violating the, the restrictions and the, and the safety of their child because of the virus. Well, it's all hearsay. Um, you would have to get a social investigation. You would have to get a, 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 you know, a mental health expert to speak with the child. And then, of course, the, the restrictions on the hearsay, that expert would be able to report to the court what the child said. But in this present, you know, lockdown, how do you, how do you get the social investor? How do you get the doctor? How do you get the child to the doctor? How, they're living with the person who's supposedly uh, creating the situation with the abuse or the neglect or, or, or not abiding by the uh, coronavirus restrictions. Yeah, I mean, let's just say I'm going for a walk around the block with my son and a little kid comes up to me and says, you know, I'm living in this house and there's people coming in and out without masks. What, what, what should I do as a concerned neighbor, as a citizen, when, if I'm provided that information? Well, again, does it rise to the level, <clears throat> there, there's, you know, there's an abuse hotline. There's the, the 1-800-ABUSE to report, you know, uh, domestic violence, sexual abuse, any type of endangerment to a child. Is, you know, people come and going from a house, does it rise to that level where you're going to have a DCF complaint? Um, is it, is, it, is it a spontaneous statement? Is it an excited utterance? I mean, is it just straight up hearsay when you, when you relate this information to a judge or a guardian ad litem or somebody? So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to take that information from the child on the street corner and turn it into some type of uh, court activity. Right. So are you saying, though, that if, if I'm provided that kind of information, I should report it to the 1-800-ABUSE hotline? Well, again, that would be that would be your call to because that's really, you know, for somebody that is actually in physical danger. Um, again, they're 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 up past their bedtime. Is that going to be, you know, one eight hundred abuse? I mean, there's you, you got to figure out where it is. Um, you know, with with the coronavirus, Anthony, um, affecting uh, an elderly population. I know of a lot of situations <laughs> where the grandparents have the custody of the children. Um, if one of the grandparents is ill and is taken to the hospital um, for a prolonged period of time or passes away, what's supposed to happen in that situation to the child? Well, again, if, if their grandparents don't have custody rights per se in the state of Florida, unless there was some type of a problem with the parents themselves and they received the parent, they received the children through a, through a proceeding, which is the extended family custody. 
And that's typically in a situation where there's some problems, maybe substance abuse or something with the parents or incarceration where they're with that grandparent in the first place. So depending on how it is, because again, grandparents do no longer have visitation rights or custody rights in the state of Florida. So the only way that that grandparent would have the child in the first place is if a court placed the child there. And then you would assume that there's going to be some type of a guardian at litem or somebody, a case manager, somebody that would be um, tasked with trying to make sure that, that, you know, everybody was safe or checking on them. But it would really depend on is it, is it a temporary order, um, let's say, while somebody's deployed in the military, or is it a permanent thing because of incarceration or, or substance abuse or something? So it, it would really depend on if it's a permanent order or a final order or a temporary order of, of, of uh, timesharing that the child is with the grandparents. And you'd have to go back to that judge and, and, and rectify it. And if one of the parents were, you know, badly to pass away during the coronavirus, uh, it, what type of legal procedure should, should be done? Let's say the parents are divorced and the primary custodial parent passes away. What, what happens in that situation? Well, again, the, unless the other parent had adopted the child, okay, if, if you've got a situation where somebody remarries and, and, and the new wife does not adopt the child and the father passes, well, then the other parent has no legal rights to that child. And, I mean, procedurally, the, the living parent would file a supplemental petition to modify the final judgment, um, file a suggestion of death and tell the court that there's been a, a change in circumstances that's substantial, material, obviously permanent, um, that would warrant a, a modification of the final judgment such that the child should be with the living parent full time. Okay. You know, Anthony, what about um, a child, um, and I, I don't know the terminology so well because I don't practice this area, but when you, your divorce child support. Um, what if I have a child support agreement or order and then I get furloughed or fired from my job? Uh, how do I, um, how do I comply with my obligations to provide child support when I'm not making money? Well, again, you've got to use your best efforts. So in, in, in the event where you have a temporary, so let's say this is, you know, five weeks, six weeks or whatever, that wouldn't be a permanent change in circumstances that would that would necessarily justify a change in your child support calculations. But you could certainly file a motion to abate temporarily because of your unemployment or, or, or whatever is going on. Now, if you're receiving money from other sources or if, if you were somebody that had liquid, not liquid assets, but let's say rental properties or things like that, if the statute says if you cannot pay your child support from your regular earnings, then, then the court can look to non-recurring assets, uh, um, non-liquid assets. But, you know, for a situation like this, five, six weeks, that's really not what you're looking at. But the person in that situation would be smart to file something to say, hey, <clears throat> because the, in Florida, we have something called, um, well, if you spend more than 20% of the time overnights with your child, then your child support is reduced, okay? So if you've got a, let's say you've got a 50-50 time sharing <clears throat> and the child support has been reduced because you've got the child with you 50% of the time, now let's say the child is with you 100% of the time or with the other parent 100% of the time. Well, that changes the calculation. 
So again, for that period of time, one party or the other could file a motion to temporarily adjust or modify or, or, or vacate these, uh, these, time, these uh, child support orders. <clears throat> the other thing, the parent who's supposed to be making the payments, they want to make sure that they document this because they don't want their driver license suspended. They don't want their professional licenses um, suspended. They don't want their passport um, suspended. They don't want their tax refund intercepted. So you, you've really got to let, if, if it's a Department of Revenue case, you really want to let them know what's going on with your finances so that you don't find yourself in the situation. And if you do get a notice from the Department of Revenue, they're very time sensitive and you need to respond. You need to read it carefully and respond appropriately and respond with proof that you've responded and a proof of mailing or whatever it is. Um, it's very important to document your, yourself when you're dealing with these folks. Anthony, it seems like your services and your expertise and your commitment to the protection of children is more valuable than ever right now with what's going on. What's the best way for people who are watching this podcast to reach you and consult with you and, and how are you doing consultations during the pandemic? Well, using Zoom for the most part, um, I had a consultation this morning where my client was in Paris. I had an attorney in Miami Beach translating, and, and so we had, our, we had our consultation that way. I, I think that this is a great technology, and so we've, I've been meeting with clients either through Zoom, through FaceTime, through um, not, not through personal contact, but, but now we can exchange documents, we can share screens, we can do so many things with this technology that it's, it's almost easier to set things up um, with, with multiple people because they only have to be at their desk. Um, so I think it's been great <coughs> meeting with people and contacting people. Folks can call my office. Um, we're, we're downtown, we're in the 44 West Flagler building, suite 2075. Obviously we're not there, we're working remotely but I can be reached at 305-379-6000. And uh, we're here to help. And, and given you know, the technology now that's out there, Anthony, are you able to help represent people <laughs> beyond Miami and Broward? Uh, are, are you able to handle cases across the state? Well, in terms of communicating, but again, at, at some point there's probably gonna be a hearing. So I don't wanna do, spread myself too thin being remote, but. To, the, to a certain extent, yes, we can, we can communicate <clears throat> and I can do consultations across the state and I am on the executive council of the family law section. So I'm, I know a number of family law attorneys throughout the state. So if, if I needed a co-counsel in another um, area of Florida, that, that's, that's quite easy. And are the family courts open and operating? <clears throat> they, yes, they're, uh, they're open. The, the clerk's office for purposes of, of filling out a domestic violence um, injunction petition, they've been open nonstop. The courts are open, the criminal courts are open for arraignments and bond hearings and the family court is open for emergency hearings. The dependency court has been open for, for termination of parental rights hearings and shelter hearings and anything that has to do with the, with the, the health and safety of the children, that, that has been going on nonstop. And it's, and it's the, the other things that need attention and they're very important, but they're not as important as a child in danger at that moment, like a shelter hearing where you've got to have a hearing in 24 hours because you just removed the child from a home and you need a safety plan. Those things have been continuing in court from, from day one. 
Anthony Genova, we really appreciate you being with us today. We would be remiss without talking about the pro bono work that you do for Lawyers to the Rescue uh, and the issues that the homeless community are facing right now with child custody uh, issues. What, what, what's going on on that front? Well, again, that's what I alluded to earlier. You've got this access to justice issue because now everything's going to be remote. And so if, if you are an individual, again, that doesn't have access to the internet, that doesn't have a, a, a phone with, with the, the capabilities or a computer to, to participate in these hearings then or, or to file a motion in the first place. So, I mean, now more than ever, these folks need us to be that, to be that intermediary to the, to the courts if they, if they should find themselves with an emergency concerning a child. Well, fantastic. We have a question. Um, from your qualified and professional perspective, what sort of things do you think the government should be doing more and uh, in this particular time with, with these specific populations? That we've You're talking about two parents raising a child and the government wants to stay as far, allow these parents to have their privacy rights. Right now, they're expecting parents to cooperate in timesharing issues. They're expecting parents to allow their child to have free and liberal and, and unsupervised, unmonitored contact, either through phone or internet, uh, Zoom um, with, with the other parent. <clears throat> they're really depending on parents as parents to, to do the right thing as it pertains to their children. It'll be sorted out later on. Uh, the parents that do things wrong during this, during this pandemic, there, there will be a hearing at some point to address it and make up time sharing or, or whatever the solution would be. But right now, I think what the government's doing in this area is, is appropriate because they've got all of the necessary um, hearings operating pertaining to the health, wealth, you know, health and safety of the children. That, that has continued, the, the domestic violence, everything has continued on nonstop. So that portion has never stopped. And in terms of the parents, you know, I, I think it's the government's function to let parents be parents, give them their privacy rights, and, and depend on them to do the right thing with their children. And again, if they don't, there, there will be a hearing, there will be a reckoning, but maybe not today. All right. Well, Anthony Genova, thank you so much for taking the time out today and, and sharing your knowledge and passion with us. If people, again, who are interested in consulting with you, will you give, uh, if they mention the podcast, an initial consultation so that they can talk to you about their problems? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. Feel free to share my information. Thank you so much for everything you do, and thanks for spending time with us. All right. Nori, we've got some additional guests coming up this week. Who else are we going to expect on our podcast? Uh, well, we have two podcasts that we have scheduled on Friday, uh, and both are with lawyers who I'm not particularly sure about their field. But interestingly, I've reached out to the mayor of Miami, yes. and uh, I got like scheduled back from him, so soon we'll have a podcast with the mayor. That's fantastic. Very interesting. Well, I know that we've got Santiago Cueto, who happens to be the president of Lawyers to the Rescue, who's going to be talking to us on Friday. And we have Alex Saez, who's a public defender who's gonna talk about issues confronting the public defender's office awesome. on Friday. So it's a great week and we started it off great with uh, Anthony Genova. <laughs> so thank you so much, my friend. Great, great seeing you. And we appreciate Thanks. everyone. If they're interested in being on the podcast, what's the best way to reach you, Nori? Um, you can email us at trustmeonthelawyerpodcast at gmail.com or on our Instagram, trustmeonthelawyerpodcast and um, just like direct message us there. 
would be the best way. Fantastic. Thank you both. And thanks for watching. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.